0: Morning, Anthem Church. It is great to be back from Thanksgiving. Many of you have probably traveled a bit, and some are still traveling, I'm sure, making their way back into town. And so, uh, welcome this morning if you're new, and if you've been with us for a while, it's good to see you again. And so, this morning, uh, we are beginning Advent, uh, as we shared before, and and just got done singing a heavy song, right? O Come, O Come, Emmanuel is a song of hope. But it was written with a whole bunch of minors, and that communicates something. There's a great need for hope that the people of God have for God in their life. Luke's letter to Theophilus, a dear friend in the faith, probably someone younger than him that he's looking to encourage, Luke's letter to him was for sure good news in his life. The early church had a lot of adversity in it, and they needed good news often. And Luke wrote this gospel through the work of the Spirit to provide hope for this believer. To provide clarity for the early church and who this God-man was. Who was this Jesus Christ? Luke shared that. It was good news in the middle of a, a world that needed it. And so, if you've ever been on an airplane before you've probably experienced turbulence, right? Some degree of turbulence. Most people who've been on a plane have faced it. If you've flown more often, you probably have more turbulence stories, and some of them are scary. Jay's dad is a pilot, and I'm sure he's got some scary turbulence stories. When you hit turbulence for the first time, it's pretty unsettling and probably induces some fear, Questions might come to mind of like, oh man, like did they really do a good job of building this plane? How thick are the walls of this plane? I know it's made out of metal. It's, it's probably safe, but when you hit that turbulence for the first time, there's that movement. If you have a window seat, you can see the wings like fluttering like this. You're like, is it supposed to do that? You're praying like, man, Lord, I, I hope this pilot was trained for turbulence. I, I hope that he got good sleep last night. When you hit turbulence, you're at the mercy of an airplane built by human hands. You're at the mercy of a pilot that you're just praying, really knows what to do. You're at the mercy of the harsh environment. Life is full of turbulence. The people that were hearing these words during the time of Luke, they were in a turbulent time. As we open up the Advent series, we see this pressing need in our life for hope, for good news. Every era of history, every square inch of earth has had turbulence throughout it. Since the garden, it's, it's kind of been messed up around here, right? We can look all throughout history. The, the Jews had their things that were tough. We can look back, they were in bondage from Egypt. They were oppressed in that season. We, we see as they were in Babylon, they were in exile, they were away from their place, that they knew as home. As this account was being made by Luke, it was reflecting on a time when they were under Roman oppression. And from that time, we can see all throughout history, oppression has continued. There's been a sense of hopelessness. There's been turbulent, turbulence in earth. Europe needed hope from the Black Plague in the 14th century. The Black Plague was gonna annihilate the continent. We needed hope throughout World War II, World War I, different things. As we look through history, we see that we've always needed to have a message of hope. And this morning as we're in Luke 1, we're going to see a message of hope that is communicating that, that God is coming to earth to bring restoration. God is coming to earth to bring healing to a hopeless people. We all have different things in life that that make us have this sense of hopelessness. But as we bring them before the Lord, we experience his peace and his grace. Advent is a season to prepare room for Christ. As we're looking ahead to Christmas, that's the theme of this series, prepare him room. Why is it worth it to prepare room for Christ in our lives? Because we live in a hopeless world. Apart from God, we're not doing well, but with him. We have a manual for life with him. We have God with us. And so this morning, the topic we're going to be looking at in Luke 1 is this topic of embracing hope through the promises of God. And why does that matter? Because we live in a turbulent world. It's always been turbulent, and we all have our own turbulent things that are coming up in our own lives. Maybe even this last Thanksgiving, there was some turbulence in your family. Talking to somebody this morning, and they're like, yeah, I was at a friend's Thanksgiving, and actually there was some turbulence there. I didn't know what to do. It wasn't my conflict, but I was sitting on the outside of a family just going at it. We live in a turbulent world. And so this morning, we're going to see in Luke 1, we have hope in Christ. And so let's pray as we dive into Luke 1 together. And so, Lord, uh, we just thank you that we can be here with one another. We thank you that... uh, yeah, even sad songs like O oh Come, O oh Come, Emmanuel, with this dirge sort of feel, can be written to remind us of our brokenness, God. And Lord, would that sort of music push us to you to help us know and understand that apart from you, God, we are floundering, we're wandering, we're helpless, we're hopeless. And so, God, I pray that as we're in Luke 1, we'd be encouraged and reminded to prepare room for you this Christmas season, God. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll go ahead and turn to Luke 1 if you're not already there. Uh, As you do, I'll share a bit of the the outline. We're going to be going through uh, 25 verses here in Luke. uh, And as we do so, we're looking at this topic of embracing hope through the promises of God. And so first, we're going to be looking at the hopelessness of everyday life. In verses 5 to 10, we're going to be seeing the status of the people in that day. We're going to be looking at the hope of heavenly promise through the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth, this couple that were faithfully pursuing the Lord, but this couple that was grieving. And then finally, we're going to look at why hope bids us to prepare room. And so let's look at verses 5 to 10 together as we look at the hopelessness In the world of everyday life, it says In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as priest before God, When his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by a lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. The first thing that's showing hopelessness here in verse 5 is those first five words that say in the days of Herod. In the days of Herod, these were terrible words for the people of Israel because they marked that they were not leading themselves. Throughout much of their history, they had kings. Throughout much of their history, they had different people who were helping lead them. But they were in a season where they weren't in charge. And they weren't in a position that that was just, oh, someone else is just kind of ruling over us. There, There was a tyranny. Herod the Great might have been great in many of the architectural things that he did, but he was not a great leader for the people of God because he was not a man of God. The days of Herod were not good days for God's people. It was a time that was marked by Roman oppression. Up on the screen, there's a graphic that's going to show. just the, The Roman Empire, by 37 AD, was taking over this part of the world. The people of Israel... Felt hopeless. Year after year, century after century, Rome had just impressed their weight, their power, their glory over the other peoples in the world. And Herod the Great was one of the kings put in place over them by Roman request. And so this is the world that they were living in. Every direction that they looked, Rome was ruling over them. They were enslaved to Rome in part, but they were also protected by Rome. It wasn't all bad because of Rome's power, because they were now part of the Roman Empire. They were also protected from other nations. But Roman rule wasn't godly rule, and because of that, there was oppression over them. Herod himself was an evil man. One scholarly journal says that he was a Palestinian of Judeo-Arab ancestry. He was a keen athlete and youth and an accomplished soldier. He was married 10 times, fathering 14 children, and is famed in Roman history as a great builder and diplomat. In the Bible, he is portrayed as the deceiver of the Magi and a genocidal maniac. Other historians of that day would share how he, he killed one of his wives because he feared that she might have had another man. He killed three of his sons because he feared that they were going to take over his kingdom. In Matthew, we can read about this massacre of the innocents, where there had been prophecy about this coming king of the Jews. And during a certain phase, he had great fear that this child that may be born was going to take his reign. And so up on the screen, there's a picture of a woman just holding her her little one, hoping that this child won't be killed because Herod had made this proclamation over this part of the world to say, hey, if you're a little boy in two years or younger during this phase of history, you're gonna be killed because he had this fear that they were gonna overtake him. He killed family members to protect his glory. He ordered the death of other people when he died. It's a unique thing. He knew that his time was coming to die and he looked at the land and thought, I don't want the people of this land to be having good days when I die. And so he literally had other people killed when he was dying so that the whole land would be in mourning. He was an evil man, and that's who was leading in Jerusalem throughout Judea at this time. The rule of Herod and Rome marked hopeless days for Israel because the rain depicted a deep impact of human oppression. And that's something that's continued throughout history. Even in our world now, we can look all across the news and, and know that human oppression continues still. And it shows our need for God, the hopelessness of human oppression. We, we could have the, the greatest president on, on earth. We could put a whole bunch of nations together and say, you know what, we're going to protect the world. We've tried to do that multiple times. Make all these alliances and we're just going to have bliss on planet earth. But what's, what's happening over and over? There's tension, there's conflict, there's oppression, and the second that there seems to be peace, there's news about no peace in this place. It's Russia and Ukraine, it's what's going on in the Middle East, there's that which is in the news, and then there's all the other oppression that isn't in the news right now as well, that's going on as we live life here on earth. And so oppression is an example of the hopelessness of everyday life, and they were not escaping that at that point in their life. As we look at verses 5 to 7 again, we see another sort of hopelessness that was going on. It says, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren. And both were advanced in years. What do we see here? It says they were both righteous before God. That means they had a relationship with the Lord. They put their trust in God. They were faithful in following through what God had asked of them. There's commandments throughout the Bible that God had called them to. And they were obeying them. They were walking faithfully. But what does it say in verse 7? But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren. And both were advanced in years. They had longed for children. During this, this time of history, there, there was a great desire that they had to be able to have a legacy. To continue the family line. It was a great thing of honor in their culture. Year after year, they, they, they must have tried. Lord, Lord, what's going on here? We're, we're trying to be faithful. You call us to be fruitful. Multiply, fill the earth. What a joke, God, because we're trying that and we don't see any fruit. They're in a spot of hopelessness and that's something that so many continue to face. Lord, we have this desire. We want little ones. And it's just waiting and waiting and waiting. There's that everyday hopelessness for some in this congregation. There's hopelessness that we can feel every day. It's, it's discouragement. It's despair. It's this thing. It's that thing. Elizabeth and Zachariah must have been in a place like that. They were faithful. They were steady. They, they kept seeking the Lord. Here he was doing his duty as a priest. But there was that grief, that burden, that sorrow that, that they weren't able to enjoy life as a, a family in that way. A final piece of hopelessness that I think we can speculate of in this text is in verses 8 to 10. This is speaking of Zechariah. It says, Now while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. What's going on here is the the priests would have this honor, this chance to be able to go before the Lord in the temple during this hour of prayer. This would happen each day. There was 18,000 some priests that would be at chance for this. There would be a lot that would be thrown. They'd pretty much cast die to figure out, okay, who would the Lord have go into the temple today to pray on behalf of the people, to pray to hear from the Lord? And this was Zechariah's big day. He had been waiting for this moment, likely. And here he is. He's coming before the Lord. And it's this hour of prayer. It says in verse 10, And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. But just because people were there, it doesn't mean that they were full of hope. For 800 years, they had been waiting the prophet Isaiah had talked about this, this coming lamb who was going to bring redemption, this coming king, and they were waiting. The prophet Malachi, 400 years before, had communicated how there was going to be this messenger that was going to prepare the way for the Lord. They were in a season of waiting, and they were showing up to this prayer time, some of them at least. Zechariah was there. It says the whole multitude. There was, there was enough to maybe fill that part of the temple surroundings. But how many of those people were just expectantly waiting on the Lord there? I bet there was doubt. The people of Israel struggled with doubt. There was this hopelessness that maybe God wasn't listening after all. In Malachi 4, these were the last words they had heard from the Lord. said, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. So many generations before, this this had been written. This had been written down so that they'd have hope. And they were just waiting year after year, century after century. And no fruit. Okay, Lord, you you say you're going to send Elijah the prophet, this this next great man. Well, where is he at? You're going to send this next great Elijah before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Oh, it's a great and awesome day of the Lord when we're under Roman rule, God. It's a great and awesome day of the Lord when when Herod, this tyrannical leader, is ruling over us. It's a great and awesome day. They were at the hour of prayer. But were they hopeful? Zechariah and Elizabeth had hopelessness because of infertility. The people of Israel had hopelessness because of the Roman rule, because of Herod. And I believe many of them had hopelessness because they were just, they kept waiting. Lord, speak to us. Give us the next glimmer of hope. They had this worry that God was not there. It reminds me of the words of David in Psalm 13. This will be on the screen. David, likely in a time of waiting, said, How long, Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? They were were in a how long, O Lord, season, weren't they? It felt like it was going to last forever. Like, if they hadn't heard from the Lord in 400 years, like our country hasn't even been around for 400 years yet, right? And they were just waiting. Okay, God, you're out there. God, you're out there. They didn't have the Holy Spirit working in their lives in the same way that we do now. They were just waiting. Uh, Apparently, there's a God, they thought. They listened and heard nothing. They were in a place of hopelessness, and sometimes we're in that spot as well. The turbulence is hitting. They were in some turbulence, and that happens to us where, where we're in a place of despair. We, we are crying out to the Lord. We're, we're journaling things out. We're trying to come before him faithfully. Or we're waiting for a clear answer on something, and we don't hear it. Or, or maybe we did pray through peace in this conversation with that person, and then you try to have the conversation with the person. It's like, well, I showed up and did everything that I needed to, but, but I left that conversation discouraged and confused and hurt. We have those hopeless things still coming up because this turbulence, it's not going away. They were in this spot of hopelessness. Daily despair. They were waiting on God. Let's read verses 11 to 19 to see the hope in the middle of their despair. It's still speaking of Zechariah. And so it says in verse 11, and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. The one day in Zachariah's life where he gets to go into the temple to be before the Lord. To be in prayer, to be leading the people of God. He comes before the Lord, probably with anticipation, but probably with the, well, here we are, Lord, waiting on you. Our 401st year. And what happens? There's good news. He's like praying. Maybe his eyes were closed. Maybe not. He's praying, praying, praying. Maybe he opens his eyes and what do you know? There's Gabriel. He's got good news. Shocking. No wonder he was in fear, right? If like he was a good Christian, he had his eyes closed and then boom, like there's the angel. And what does the angel say? He he says, don't be afraid. I'm fulfilling a promise. What does he say? Verse 13, the angel said to him, do not be afraid. Why? For your prayer has been heard. Meaning God had spoken to Israel. God was listening. God was there. God had a plan in mind. He had design. He had intent for what was going on in their world. It did not feel like it. Oppression doesn't feel like it. Infertility doesn't feel like it. But God had a plan. He was ready to use Zechariah and Elizabeth for something great. They were going to be bringing John into the world. And because John was coming into the world, he was going to be preparing the people of God for the coming of Christ. What was the promise? Verse 13 says, The promise was that Elizabeth was going to bear a son. The barren woman would give birth. How does that happen? It's a work of God. Verse 14, It's a promise. Zechariah is going to have joy and gladness. The sonless servant is going to become a father. What's the promise we see in verse 14? It says, many will rejoice at John's birth, indicating that John is going to be a man that breathes life into lifeless people. He's the guy that's going to go out into the wilderness and people are going to follow him. And he's going to communicate how the people need to repent of their sin and turn to God and be baptized as a symbol of their surrender to God. He brought joy to people. For the clarity he gave them in life, to see that they were in the wrong. He was fulfilling a promise. Verse 15, there's a promise fulfilled. John would be great before the Lord. This is indicating that John would be a precursor to the Lord's coming. And finally, in verse 15, we also see that John would be filled with the Holy Spirit. From his mother's womb, God's hand was going to be on John's life and John's ministry. Gabriel was bringing good news to Zechariah. And because Zechariah was hearing this good news in the temple, he was going to be able to be a witness and a testimony to the people. His response to the angel wasn't too wonderful. He's like, well, I don't really believe you. How could this happen? God makes him mute after this till the child comes. But from what we know, he faithfully responds in light of that muteness, and helps the people understand understand what that God had spoke. That the four hundred year years of silence was seemingly gone, and so God fulfilled prophecy. He came bringing restoration through Zechariah's son. We can see this in Malachi. Again. The Malachi 4 passage says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of their children to their fathers. Doesn't that look like verse 16 and 17? Another part of the promise was that God was going to bring change. Verse 16 in in Luke 1, it says, And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. 400 years later, John the Baptist is coming, fulfilling the prophecy. What had been written long ago was now coming true. John the Baptist was going to be preparing the way. For Christ, God fulfills His promises. That's the the hope that we can have. In a hopeless world, the hope that we can have is that God fulfills His promises. His book is full of promises. And if we're walking through hopelessness and we're spiraling and we're not sure how this is going to pan out, how that is going to go, how do we get footing? How do we walk through that uncertainty? We hold on to the promises of God. We see the way that He worked, that He was faithful for His people, Israel. And we learn and see that if He was faithful for them, He's faithful for us as well. Let's reread verses 1 to 4 as we consider why hope bids us to prepare room for Christ. Luke, writing to Theophilus, says Inasmuch as many have undertaken, we got to see that God the Father had a plan. God the Father has all this history that's going to be unfolded all throughout Luke. History come true. Promises come true. He's saying there's there's an orderly account, Theophilus, that I've taken. That's to help you understand and know that this isn't made up. He's saying you can have certainty. There's been eyewitnesses. They've seen what's happened. They've seen the way that Jesus has lived. Why is it worth it? Why does it make sense to prepare room for Christ in our life? Because God the Father has good plans. And there's books upon books in his word that help us see and have assurance of that. Luke revealed to Theophilus that there was certainty to the things that he had been taught. We can have certainty in the things that God shows us in his word. At the same time, we prepare room for Christ at Christmas because John coming to prepare the way for Christ meant that God's son was coming. And Malachi 4, at the beginning of that chapter, it says, For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all the evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings, and you shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. Not only is God the Father faithful in promising things that later on come true, he's also given us God the Son. He sent Christ to earth so that we could have relationship with God. Christ coming gives us hope. And so we see here in Luke and Malachi this idea that, that God brings us healing. God brings us hope in the middle of hopelessness. And where does that hope lead us to? It says at the end of that Part of Malachi, you shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. I'm not a farmer. I've seen cattle. And I can only imagine that when, when cattle have been penned up in stalls and suddenly have new pasture, they get pretty excited about that. It means they get to run around. It means they get to eat some nourishing grass, enjoy life. There's, there's delight when they get to exit that stall and just free range, Right? There's joy that we get because God the Father has good plans that come true. Because God the Son came to earth, there's joy and delight that we can have in life. In the middle of hopelessness, we can experience the same sort of joy that a piece of cattle running out into the the grassy pasture can have. We can have just that raw delight as we're living life. Even in a hopeless world, hope came with healing in His wings, and what does that healing bring? It brings us to a place of joy. And finally, we prepare room for Christ at Christmas because God, the Holy Spirit, the same spirit that was in John from his mother's womb, is the spirit that God gives us as believers. God, the Holy Spirit, that's, that's our way to interact with the Lord. How does this work? God the Father prophesied through his prophets a plan of promise. God the Son came to earth accomplishing those promises, and God the Spirit is how we get to experience the work of the Son and the plan of the Father. We prepare room for Christ at Christmas because we do live in a very hopeless world, but we cut out space for Christ in our life Because that is the the healing balm to every wound that we have here on earth. The Holy Spirit active in our life is what gives us discernment, is what gives us peace, is what gives us contentment before the Lord. In the middle of despair, we can have peace from God. Why? Because of the work of His Spirit in us. In Ephesians 1 It says, in him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. We prepare room for Christ because as we receive Christ in our life, we receive the spirit of God in us. And that gives us power, that gives us hope. Romans 15, verse 13, it says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. We all need hope because we all face the turbulence of everyday life. And the fact is we live in an oppressed country. We don't live in an oppressed way that the the people of Israel were. We don't have Rome ruling over us. We don't have uh, crazy, tyrannical leaders that, that are, are killing this people group and doing this thing. We're, we're not in the pocket of world history where, where we're actively at war with a whole bunch of nations. But we have this oppression of our hearts. We have this oppression of facade where we think we're in a good place with God. Or we're in a place where we think we don't even need God. To be living in darkness, which I would say much of our nation is, is to be living oppressed, and we're in an oppressed world. Maybe this morning you're in a place like Israel, feeling hopeless. Maybe you're sensing that that God isn't there. You've been praying, but hearing nothing back. You've been asking for peace, but never receiving it. Maybe you're in just a long time of life where you're just waiting on God. Maybe you're in a place like Zechariah and Elizabeth where you're faithfully following after Christ. But there's just some things that make it hard to find as much joy. Maybe you're in a spot like Herod and Rome in their day. They didn't think they needed the Lord. They, they didn't need to have some guide in their life. They had their own power. They had their own might. Where are you at before the Lord today? Where, where is your hopelessness? I believe we all have hopelessness in our hearts somewhere as fallen people. Where is your hopelessness this morning? Maybe there was some financial thing. At the end of the year, you thought you were going to get this bonus, and then you didn't. You're feeling hopeless about security because it's like, man, I don't know how we're going to make ends meet right now. Maybe there's a sense of hopelessness because someone you loved dearly recently passed away, or there's this hopelessness of lost connection with somebody. Maybe you were d- dating somebody, and now you're not, and you're grieving that. Maybe there's ongoing conflict. There's frustration about how this family member or that friend handled this thing or that thing. Where's the hopelessness? In your heart, that's the stuff that we have to unearth and bring before the Lord and still trust Him as good. Where's that part in your heart? Maybe you're missing community, you're missing a companion, you're missing unity. Maybe you just want contentment. There's a sense of purposelessness you have. There's maybe no vision or maybe there's too many purposes Maybe you're missing peace, there's anxiety, there's worry, there's depression. What's the, the part of your heart, the part of your life that's hopeless that you need to bring before the Lord? Because if what is said here in Malachi is really true, as we bring those things before God, we get to experience this joy and delight of God bringing peace in the places of our life where we sense chaos. Maybe you don't feel hopeless. Maybe you just feel distracted. Life's too crazy to slow down and remember Christ. No matter where we're at this morning, it's worth it to prepare room for Christ this Christmas because Christ comes bringing hope. There's a quote that's going to be up on the screen from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was an author, a pastor, an activist during World War II. And he says, look up. You whose gaze is fixed on this earth. Who are spellbound by the little events and the changes on the face of the earth. Look up to these words, you who have turned away from heaven disappointed. Look up, you whose eyes are heavy with tears and who are heavy and who are crying over the fact that earth has graciously torn us away. Look up, you who burdened with guilt cannot lift your eyes. Look up. Your redemption is drawing near. Something different from what you see daily will happen. Just be aware. Be watchful. Wait just another short moment. Wait and something quite new will break over you. God will come. He's reflecting on the reality of Christ coming to earth. He's reflecting on the reality that Christ will come again. And this morning, we're reminded from the words of Luke to Theophilus that, that we got to look up. we we got to remember that even though we live in a hopeless world, we have a God of hope who very much cares for us and very much gives us a way to interact with him. Through his spirit, we are able to walk through whatever sort of valley is dealt your way. We have a God of hope To those who aren't walking with the Lord, this morning consider the good news that God sent hope to earth in Jesus Christ. Trust this morning, maybe for the first time, that there's healing in the wings of God. That He is offering you forgiveness and communion with God. If that's you this morning, consider confessing before the Lord your need for Him. Maybe this morning you are walking with Christ. Be encouraged. This is a a, a time of year where we get to look at the fact that God gave us a way out of our trouble. It's a time of year where we get to be a light and witness to our family. Where we get to be a sense of stability in in maybe a household that doesn't really have it. Or a family line that, that never really had it. We get to be a picture of of these calves leaping out of the stalls, just showing, hey, God's alive and at work. We don't have this 400-year silence thing in our life. We have the Holy Spirit within us, and that gives us hope. And so if you're a believer this morning, be encouraged. The Spirit of God is with you for whatever you're walking through right now. God is with you. And as you go to Him, you find encouragement. He's given you community, people around you within this church to hopefully encourage you, point you back to Christ if you've been floundering or wandering away. We prepare room for Christ because Christ comes bringing hope. Let's pray together this morning. Dear Lord, have we just... We have to admit as we look at our own hearts that we have great need. We try to make plans or we we try to have life be a certain way, God, and, and it gets reshuffled. We try to be faithful with our end of things and we're faithless sometimes. And God, this morning I just, yeah, we come before you thanking you that you bring peace and hope in, in the middle of life's storms, God. There's, there's turbulence because of this, because of that in our lives, God. But you come bringing hope through those things, God. We thank you that your spirit lives and dwells within us as believers, God. And I just do pray that if there's anyone in this room who's not following after you, that they would surrender to you for the first time, God, seeing that you are the way out of brokenness. You are the way out of bondage. You are the way out of oppression. Lord, we love you and we need you. In Jesus' name, amen.